Well, it would be my joy if you would join me in 2 Corinthians, the letter of 2 Corinthians. We'll begin at the beginning of the letter. Thank you all so much for the joy of being with you all today. Uh, We love Burton Memorial Baptist Church. I tell people often about Burton Memorial and other churches that we see as co-laborers in the gospel. And so we are grateful for you. This might be the oldest uh, church that I've ever preached in. Um, Not that I've preached in a lot of churches. I actually preached in Smith's Grove Baptist. That might be up there. Um, But this is uh, one of the oldest churches. And it may be the only church that has a Wikipedia page, I noticed yesterday. Don't know if you knew that, but you can look at that this afternoon. Not during the message. But deeply thankful also for for Dallas. Um, Dallas is a dear brother who loves the gospel and loves the truth and is always pointing me and fellow brothers in our city to the gospel. And I'm praying for him this week as he's in Malawi uh, shepherding pastors there. Let's read together uh, from 2 Corinthians beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that You, Lord, would do just exactly what we heard in Your Word, that, Lord, You would comfort your people through your word. Lord, that comfort would not just be a topic that we read about in the word of God from your holy word that that we learn about mentally, but Lord, that we would experience it. That Lord, even this morning, that we would experience the love of you, a good, good father who is the, the father of mercy. That this morning, Lord, we would experience your dearest sign of love, experience of love through your one and only Son who has ransomed us. That, Lord, we would know the comfort of the Holy Spirit who you give to be our comforter. 
Lord, even as we heard from your word earlier, Lord, would you, would you make the wilderness of our hearts, Lord, feel like the Garden of Eden again? Would you, would you make us know the joy and the gladness that comes from knowing you as God our Father? Our Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Lord, would you do this for your great glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is God doing right now? You ever ask that question? Usually I ask it maybe like in a little more turmoil, a little more anxiety. Like what in the world could God possibly be doing right now? I honestly cry that out probably more times than I need to be doing. Like if I get a flat tire, flat tires may be like the most inconvenient thing in the world, right? If I get a flat tire, if I get into a fight with my wife, if I get hit with a bill that I didn't see coming, if we get a bad scan from a doctor, if you get blindsided by criticism from a loved one, a friend, maybe if you have a bad first day at school, or maybe a cabinet just won't fit that you thought you cut just right. You know, we face these things, we, we face these troubles in our lives, different afflictions, different trials, and, and our hearts give this brokenhearted question. What in the world could God be doing right now? What we're saying when we say that is, there's no good purpose for God doing this. It's a lack of, of faith in those moments of trouble, and those moments of sorrow. There's no good reason that I'm facing this loss. There's no good reason that I'm experiencing this weakness. There's nothing good that could come from cancer. Why would the Lord put me through this? I sang as a, a little kid a song, God is so good. He loves me so. He cares for me. You all probably know that's how we all could sing it together. But in those moments, we're saying, yeah, I know that I sing that God is good, but he doesn't feel like it right now. He feels distant right now. He's feel like he, he lacks caring for his people right now. Sure, when we're facing suffering, we, we, we tend to think things like, my affliction is just a distraction from God's mission. My suffering, it's an interruption. My, my suffering is sidelining me from God's will, from what God really wants to do right now. My weakness, it's, a, it's an inconvenience. A liability that gets, me, gets in the way of what God really wants to do. But when we open the letter of 2 Corinthians and we look at Paul's life and what Paul went through and what Paul learned, what we start to learn is, what if instead of being an inconvenience or a liability or instead of our suffering sidelining us, what if my affliction is not a distraction at all? What if my pain is purposed by a good and sovereign God? What if my suffering is, is not sidelining me from God's will, but it is God's will for God's greater glory, what I'm going through? What, what if weakness is not 
getting in the way of God wants to do? What, what if my weakness is the way of what God wants to do, work in my life? My weakness is the way that, that in and through my weakness, God wants to display his greater power, his glorious power through me. See, Paul faced many afflictions, many trials, many things, more than what we face, right? Times 10. If you start reading the list in 2 Corinthians, you're like, wow, my flat tire is not a big deal. That first day of school wasn't that big of a trouble. Yet in the midst of his greater trials, he learns God's grace is sufficient for me. Paul, in the midst of his trials, he learns God's power is made perfect. Not when I think I'm strong. Not when I look strong to others. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. And so I boast in my weakness. One of the hardships that that Paul faces with the church at Corinth is that there's a lack of faith in who Paul is. That there's a lack of faith in his role as an apostle. See, there were false teachers who were slandering Paul. They're scoffing about Paul to one another. And they're saying things like, Paul, look at Paul. Paul is poor. And Paul is pathetic. Paul doesn't have the impressive and eloquent gifts that, that we have. And to top it all off, he's suffering. So that's one of the biggest criticisms. He's saying, there's, Paul is suffering, therefore he can't be an apostle. Paul is facing hardship, therefore he could not be sent by God. While these false teachers are boasting all the more at, at their prosperity and at their gifts and their lack of suffering and their own power, that they're displaying for the people. So it's not by accident that Paul begins the letter with these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is saying that I've seen the risen Christ. Not only have I seen the risen Christ, I was sent by the risen Christ. Paul's saying this, this isn't according to man's will. It, no man came up with this great idea that I'm an apostle. No, I'm sent by the will of God. And the fact that I'm suffering doesn't disqualify me. It actually marks me as an apostle. The fact that I'm walking through suffering, the, the fact that I'm boasting in my weakness, the fact that I'm going through all that I'm going through does it disqualify me? It qualifies me as I walk in the footsteps of Christ. Paul teaches us in this letter that his pain is not purposeless. His suffering isn't sidelining him. In fact, weakness is the way because weakness is the way of his humble Savior. So this morning, as we jump in, to the beginning of this letter, I want us to be convinced this morning that the last thing that God is doing in your life 
is nothing. The last thing, one thing that God is not doing in your life is nothing. Be, be comforted this morning that, that whatever pain you're facing right now is not purposeless. And suffering is not derailing you from what God wants to do. It's not sidelining you, but it might be through suffering that God wants to do great and mighty things to display his glory. No, your weakness is plan A for how God wants to display his glorious power. John Piper says this. He's, he says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. God's always doing about 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of just three of them. So this morning, I want us to talk about a couple of the things that God's Word says that God is doing in your suffering. Two of God's purposes for your pain that will lead you from wondering why, God, why are you doing this? There's no good reason. Wondering to worship, just like Paul, to move to worship. Here's the first one. God comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others. God comforts you in your suffering so that you can comfort others. Listen to how Paul begins the letter, the body of his letter again. There's only two letters in all the New Testament that begin with giving a blessing or blessing God. The other one you might know is Ephesians, right? Where, where Paul blesses God for all the spiritual riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And the other one is here. And he begins blessing God not for his suffering, like, but for the comfort that he receives from his God in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. Just receive that grace this morning from God's Word. Like allow that truth to, to rest in your heart from, from God's words, from God's good and perfect promises. He says that God is the God of all comfort. That he's the source of all comfort and he gives it to you in all your affliction. In all of your, not some of your affliction, not a few of your afflictions, but in all of your affliction. This means, brothers and sisters, that God is always aiming to comfort you in your affliction. God is always aiming never to leave you nor forsake you. To, to be with you in your affliction. God wants you to be comforted. So when your heart starts saying things like, you know, God left me. He forsakes me. He's silent. He doesn't care God has forgotten me. God, God doesn't see me anymore. God doesn't hear me. Sounds like the Psalms, right? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? One Psalm says, 
Will the, the steadfast love of the Lord cease? Sometimes we feel that way. Literally, he's saying, will the unceasing love of God really cease? Our hearts say that, but, but when our hearts say that, maybe God's left me alone. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's forgotten me. Maybe he doesn't see me. He doesn't hear me. God's word says this morning, that's simply not true. God's word promises he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. In all our affliction. Maybe we don't always see it. Maybe we don't always receive it. Maybe we don't always want it the way that he gives it. But God's word says that God always is filled with compassion always moved with mercy, that his heart always aims to comfort his people. How does he do that in your life? When you look around and you think, how does God comfort you? There's a bunch of ways that God comforts you, right? God, one, God comforts us with his word. God comforts us with the word. Think about this. God has been compassionate in giving us his word. Like, nobody made God speak. God would have been totally righteous and holy and perfect never to speak his good and perfect word, his gracious word to his people. He could have remained silent, but in his mercy, in his compassion, he gave precious promises to us in his word. I mean, one verse I, I often think about, it's from Isaiah. I love that passage we read earlier but another place in isaiah isaiah 26 it's a verse that i think about weekly meditate on pray for myself pray for other people isaiah 26 3 says this you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you what a good and precious word from god that you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, who's collapsed all their trust on you. This is, it's God's promise. It's comfort for my anxious heart on Monday, on Wednesday afternoon. When the week's getting weary, I open up God's word and God comforts me. And really, there are thousands of ways that God wants to comfort you in his word. So think about that in your week. When you feel alone, when you feel anxious, when you don't know where to turn, how often do we not open up God's good and perfect word? That could be a balm for our soul. It's just waiting to comfort our weary hearts. Another one is God comforts us through prayer, especially through lament. I know you all have been preaching through the Psalms. We preach through a lot of psalms this summer as well. And, and God gives us his, in his word the way to pray to him in our times of trouble. Have, have you ever been miserable in the midst of your suffering? Your heart's been weary. You've been worn down, not knowing where to turn. Well, a lot of times we turn a million places except for to the Lord. Like we can sit in silence. 
We can sit in despair. And a lot of times, instead of turning to the Lord, when we sit in silence and we sit in despair, our heart starts to create bitterness towards God when we don't turn to God. Or another one might be that you complain to others. That might be the easier one. Instead of sitting in silence, we start grumbling and complaining to others. Sometimes we even use the phrase, you know what, I had to lament to a friend. No, you were probably complaining and grumbling to a friend. When we lament, we lament to the Lord. We take it to the Lord. Another thing we do is maybe we try to run and find refuge and comfort in an idol, in our sin that we think will satisfy us. So in turn, instead of turning to a Savior who says, come to me, all you who are gently who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We run to our sin, and we think that could satisfy. That could comfort me. And instead, it just breaks our heart again and again, because sin only lies and cannot deliver the promises that it makes to you. But God, in His grace, has given us this gift of prayer He has turned his ear unto us sinners through Jesus so that we can cry out to him in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast all your anxieties, all your cares upon me. Who? Who are we casting upon? The God of all comfort. Who cares for you? Cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. God's saying that in his word. Throw them on me because I care for you. So we're sitting here with these two options. Our two options are God saying, here, you can continue to try to carry that burden. You can continue to try to carry that heaviness upon yourself. Or I will joyfully carry it for you. I will gladly take that off your hands. And this morning, we could just find comfort in casting our cares upon the God of all comfort. Who it's his joy, who loves to bear your burdens for you. You know, another way that God comforts us, another way that God ultimately comforts us is through the gospel. He comforts us through his one and only son. Because The greatest burden that you'll ever carry in this life is your sin. That's the greatest burden you'll ever carry is your own sin and rebellion that is laying upon your shoulders. And God's word says that there's only one relief, one comfort for that great burden of your sin. The father of all mercy and the God of all comfort provides his one and only son to relieve you of your sin. That's what Romans 8.32 says, right? He did not spare his own son for us, but he gave him up for us. So how will he not with us, with him, graciously give us all things? Oh, what a gift that Jesus would bear our burden, bear our sins, bear all our motives, bear all our rebellion, our thoughts, the the hurtful words that we've ever spoken, our lust, our pride. He bore all our sin up to Calvary 
suffering all alone, saying, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suffering all alone for all our sins so that we could receive eternal comfort. So that we could receive forever forgiveness. So that we could have eternal life with the God of all comfort. In a burdenless eternity. That's the only way that you could ever be unburdened from all your sins, past, present, and future, is to cast them upon Jesus who bore them for you in your place on Calvary. And just when you thought the gospel couldn't get any better than giving you, than the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, giving you his one and only son, if that wasn't good enough, what else does he give you? the gospel well the Bible says that not only does God give you Jesus but when we repent of our rebellion and we run to Jesus for our refuge for our comfort he says he gives him gives you himself to dwell within you that the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. Think about this. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has been walking the dis- with the disciples and he comes to this place where he says, hey, guys, I got some bad news for you. Um, I'm about to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by the religious leaders. They're going to crucify me on the cross and then I'm going to go away forever. And that's going to be good. Wait, that's going to be good? You've been with us? You've walked with us and now you're going to a cross and then you're going to rise again and then you say you're going to go back to your father and that's a good thing? Why is that such a good thing? Because I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, I will send you the paraclete, which is the helper, which is the comforter. So not only will I rescue you from your sins, but I will dwell within you. God will take residence up in our hearts that he might be the very presence of God, no longer in a temple in the Holy of Holies that we can never go to, but that we can come and dwell with, where he dwells with us all the time. Look at verse 5 with me. This comfort that we have in the gospel just continues And continues as we walk with Jesus. It says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Do you hear the hope that we have in the gospel? Not just to save us the first day we believed, but continuously. This is what Paul says. My hope in the gospel is that as my sufferings increase, and they might increase, so will my comfort in Christ increase all the more. Wow, how hopeful is that? No matter what happens tomorrow, what na- no matter what happens next month, no matter what a test can say in the future in a doctor's office, Even when my sufferings increase, my comfort in Christ will increase all the more. That's what God's word says. So no matter how miserable tomorrow could be, it says, God says, 
promise of Lamentations 3. My, my mercies will be new every morning. I, I love what William Arnott, who's an 1800 Scottish minister, I love how he put this truth. He says, when I weep, Christ enters by the openings which grief has made into my heart, and he gently makes it all his own. That's good news. When I weep, Christ enters by the openings which grief has made into my heart, and he gently makes it all his own. God comforts us in his word. He comforts us through prayer. He comforts us through the gospel ultimately. But guess where else he comforts us, this word, this passage tells us this morning. God comforts us with his people. God comforts us with one, of, one another. It's one of the main ways that God wants to comfort you today. It's one of the main reasons that you shouldn't be uh, living an individual, isolated Christian life, but you should be with one another in the body of Christ every Sunday, all week long, that we might comfort one another. I mean, the simple presence of a brother or sister in Christ is a visible sign of the presence of Christ in your life. That, that right word spoken to you from a, a sister when you're walking out of church on a Sunday or, or that timely text that you give from a brother that might be a passage of scripture or might be an encouraging word in the midst of your week. God's word is telling us today that when you're hurting, and that word comes, that is from the Lord. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5 says this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without fear within. Think about the turmoil he's facing. He's saying all this anxiety, all this persecution, all, all this attacks from other people. But then he says this in verse 6. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Did you hear that? God who loves to comfort us in our affliction. The Lord who loves to comfort us in when we're downcast. What did he do? Comforted us by the coming of Titus. God purposed his people in Paul's life so that he might know the comfort of Christ. And guess what? God still does it today. God still moves his people towards his downcast so that we might know the comfort of Christ. I heard a podcast one day from Andrew Peterson, one of my favorite songwriters, writes beautiful music uh, about God's word, God's truth. And he was talking in this podcast about being in three years of depression. He said, almost crippling depression where I didn't want to I didn't feel inspired to write. I didn't want to move or do much. And yet, he just sat a lot of times in depression. 
And he said that his wife would come up to, me, to him during those days and would grab him by the forehead and say, look at me. Look at me. Kiss, her, kiss him on the forehead and say, look at me. Something good is coming. Something good is coming. Over and over again, this was a wife who knew the truth of the gospel, who knew the end of the story, who, who knew the promises that we sang earlier, that one day, free from sinning, we will see his lovely wet face, full arrayed in blood-washed linen, and how we'll sing of God's sovereign grace at home with the Father of all comfort. And she reminds him, something good is coming. And that's why you're here. That's why you're with one another. So what I want you to hear from chapter 1 today of 2 Corinthians is that God doesn't comfort you so it'll end with you. God doesn't comfort you so that will end with you. God doesn't comfort you so that in your affliction, he comforts you so that you'll just grow complacent or you'll grow isolated or you'll grow comfortable keeping to yourself. No, but God purposes pain in your life and brings comfort in your heart for a reason. Look at verse three and four again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that, if you are somebody that marks in your Bible, that's a good thing to mark right there. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That radically transforms how you suffer, right? That should radically transform how you see your suffering when you're in it, how, how you're walking in suffering, even, even how you come out the other side of a trial. The comfort of Christ that you experience through the body of Christ when you lost a friend or a family member, that wasn't supposed to end with you. The peace that God gave you, the peace that passes all understanding when you are facing sickness, when you're facing cancer, that wasn't supposed to stop with you. The compassion of God that you were shown when you were mistreated by a coworker, when you were spoken ill of, when you were persecuted like the persecution that churches are facing all around the world, that was not supposed to end with them. Most importantly, the comfort of Christ that relieved you from all your sins, that comfort of salvation was not supposed to end with you. The comfort that you received when you were forgiven of all your sins, when you were brought into relationship with the God of all comfort. Why would you keep that to yourself when you can extend the gospel, that gospel hope to others? On May 16th, 2023, Lauren Marr, a young lady by the name of Lauren Marr was traveling home from work on the Natcher Parkway. 
When a car crossed over the median and tragically struck her car, and she went to the hospital, rushed to the medical center where she would later pass. Where would you, if you're her mother or father, where would you turn for comfort? Where do you turn on a day like that to find comfort? What about her one-year-old daughter who would grow up, grow up with a mother? Where did she turn to find peace? How would she know a peace that passes all understanding? Well, by God's grace, by God's providence, Lauren and her family, her mother, her father, were all members of Forest Park Baptist Church here in Bowling Green. Forest Park Baptist Church, where in God's providence, a pastor named Joe Starks and Katie Starks began pastoring in the fall of last year, months before this happened, who knew exactly what it felt like to lose a little girl. Because just a couple years earlier, they lost a 10-week-old, a 10-week-old daughter in a tragedy. And God, in his providence, brought his comfort through Joe and Katie, bound their hearts together during the midst of this trial, that Joe and Katie might now get to comfort them in their affliction with the comfort with which they themselves received by God. So think about this. God just isn't not forgetting you in your suffering. God is not forgetting others in your suffering. Think about the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, that in the midst of your suffering, he's purposing comfort not only for you, but purposing comfort for others. That's what Paul says in verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer so all this is not just for my sake like we can get so self-absorbed right i mean we're not even talking about cancer or something if i get a cold those man colds we can get very self-absorbed in ourselves right And how we want things. And how we wish things would get better. And we're tired of this. We get so self-centered in our suffering. Why is God forgetting me? Why does God not care? Or if He does deliver us in suffering, we say, oh, look what God did for me. But God's not purposing suffering that we might become self-centered, but for us to become selfless. Even in the midst of our suffering. He's comforting me so I can comfort others. What I'm going through today shouldn't shouldn't stay with me, but I should be able to minister to others through my suffering. So let me ask you the question, how are you stewarding your suffering that you're walking through? How, How will other people in your life experience the peace of Christ? The presence of Christ, the the compassion 
and comfort and mercy of Jesus because you've experienced the same in your suffering. That's the first purpose that we see here. God comforts us in our affliction that we might comfort others. And then secondly, God humbles us in our suffering so we will hope in Him. God humbles us in our suffering so we will hope in Him. In verse 8, Paul turns now to talk to about his own personal affliction. His own suffering, what he's faced in Asia, in probably in Ephesus. And he talks about his suffering in some of the most vivid ways. Look at verse 8. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Listen to the language here. For we were so utterly burdened. Literally, we were weighed down. Beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He's saying, we wanted to give up. We just wanted it all to be over. Whatever it took, I just wanted it to be over. He says, indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. Have you ever felt that way before? We've probably felt that way with a lot less sufferings than Paul. I mean, later in 2 Corinthians, he's going to talk about being beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead. And not only that, he says, but on top of that, I had the anxiety for all the churches that I've ministered to. But some of us, I would say, know what it's like to feel weighed down. With less sufferings, we know what it's like to probably feel like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. We know what it's like to want to give up, to want to say, I just want it to be over. I don't care what it takes. I just want it to be done. Doesn't have to be persecution like Paul. All it takes is for your problem to grow greater than your power. And then you want to give up. Your problem to grow greater than your power and you want to give up. And your heart wants to cry out, I can't do this anymore. But what I want you to see from this passage is that that's not a problem, that's a blessing. That there's a purpose in this pain, a, a purpose to coming to the end of yourself. A purpose for being overwhelmed in your suffering, for your heart to say, I can't do it anymore. And that's not a bad thing. That is a blessing from the Lord. Because he says this in verse 8. I mean, verse 9. He says this. Indeed, we had felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One of the main purposes in your suffering is to strip away all your self-reliance on yourself. That's one of the main purposes in your suffering, in your pain, is that the Lord would empty you of yourself. God doesn't want you relying on yourself. He wants you to rely completely on Him. He doesn't want you trusting in your power and your intellect and your ability and how you can control everything in your life. I know we like to do that, how we feel like we have a grip on our life and uh, we are controlling it. But, but no, God wants us to collapse all our trust in him. 
to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him because He makes our path straight. It's a gift. Listen, brothers and sisters, whatever you're going through, it's a gift when your hope in yourself dies. It's a gift when your hope in someone else, a spouse, a coworker, a friend, some other idol, some sin dies. It's a gift when all you're left with, your only hope is in the God who raises the dead. It's a gift. It's a, it's a grace when you get to despair of life itself so that it drives you to cry out for resurrection from the only one that raises the dead. The problem is, is that a lot of us just don't think we need God. Deep down, we don't feel like we need God. I mean, in the United States, God makes a nice accessory, but he's not a necessity. You go to Malawi today, and God is a necessity. Getting over sickness is a necessity, a need from God. Having food and water is a necessity. Here, he's a nice accessory. And the problem is, is we think we're so self-sufficient, and it shows up in so many ways. We're, we think we're so self-sufficient, so we don't pray. We think we're enough, so we don't rely on God. We don't put any weight on God and sadly, we want other people to put their weight on us. We love it when people rely on us. The problem is that we think we are these amazing snowflakes, these one-of-a-kind people with all this power. We think we're extraordinary. When really God just made us extraordinary. Sorry to bust your bubble this morning on a Sunday morning. Let me help you start your week differently. You are just extraordinary. Have you ever thought about that before? God made you ordinary for a reason. Like in the garden before the fall. Think about this. Before the fall, before sin corrupted the world, Adam and Eve were gloriously ordinary. God created them to be ordinary, to be dependent on him, to rest completely on him, to not be independent from him. God created us that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on him, the one who raises the dead. Remember, it was actually our desire to be extraordinary, our, our desire to be God that got us in this mess to begin with. Remember that? Remember in Genesis chapter 3 when serpent, when Satan comes to Adam and Eve and what's he tell Eve? God knows. Oh, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. You'll get to be extraordinary. You'll get to be sufficient. You'll get to be enough. That was the temptation to, to rebel against God and to rest in ourselves, to be 
our own gods. And ever since the garden, it's not just an Adam and Eve problem. Ever since the garden, all of us have been trying to be extraordinary ever since. Every single one of us has tried to be a self-sufficient, self-sovereign God. Trying to be God since the garden. But isn't it amazing grace? I'm talking about scandalous grace that God would give his one and only son to relieve rebels of their self-reliance. I mean, that's breathtaking, isn't it? That God would give his one and only son to relieve us, to reverse our self-reliance. It took the death of the Son of God and God the Father raising Him from the dead to rescue us from all our sins. But not only to rescue us from all our sins, but God also rescued us through Jesus from relying on ourself. From relying on ourself and resting all our hope in Him. That's part of the glorious good news of the gospel is that God wants to rescue you from your rebellion so that you'll cast all your reliance on him again. Not just that he'll be savior from your sins, but he'll be Lord, king, master joyfully over your life. Paul Tripp says this, the purpose of the cross is to completely decimate your loyalty to the most powerful of gods, the idol of self. That's the purpose of the cross, to decimate your loyalty to the most powerful idol, the idol of self. And listen, that's what God does in every trial. That's what God does in all your suffering. He's trying to strip you of you. And we should praise the Lord for it. We should give God glory for it. Listen, God will do whatever it takes, won't he? God will do whatever it takes. He will send his one and only son to a cross for rebels to rescue you from your self-reliance and sin. And he will send and purpose, suffering, and pain in your life to deliver you from you. Just like he did for the Apostle Paul, he will do that for you. That's good news. We should receive that as good news. I know it sounds crazy, but God wants to cultivate weakness in your life. He wants to cultivate weakness he wants you to be emptied of yourself so that you can rest in the enoughness of Jesus. Everything he's doing is aiming to empty you of hope in yourself so that you might hope forever in him. Look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Oh, we can look 
back at the cross. We can look back at our suffering and say, God has been faithful. God has comforted us. God has delivered us. And we have hope that he will continue to do so. So we rest completely on him. You know, suffering is really sobering. I don't know if you experience that when you experience suffering in your own life or if you see suffering in other people's life. Suffering can be really sobering. A, a close friend of mine, a, a brother at Christ Fellowship, was diagnosed in the spring with cancer. We met together and he said, I just wanted to tell you that I've been diagnosed with throat cancer and I'll never forget how, how sobering it felt in that moment. How life felt short. How control in ourselves and, and thinking that we're enough seemed to be stripped away in a second. And God's doing that all the time. The older I get, literally, the older I get, I have less hope in myself. In my gifts, in my power, in my ability, in my intellect, God's stripping us of hope in myself. Aaron, I used to go by like Karyakis and, and Covington. You probably used to do this. Aaron can jump out of the gym. Don't know if you knew that, but he could. I don't know if he still can. But I used to go to past Karyakis or, or Covington Woods Park, and I literally would be like, I'm going to go out there right now. And I want to play for like two hours. And I'm not going to lose. I'm not getting off the court. Now I look at the basketball court I drive by and I'm like, that looks so dangerous. <laughs> like, who would do that? That's, that looks irresponsible. But, Paul, but God in his grace is, is emptying us of hope in ourselves. And that's a grace of God because God wants to fill us with hope. So let's close this morning by doing exactly what God, what, what Paul did starting this letter. Let's close blessing God for these good gifts that he has given to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who doesn't leave me alone who's comforted me and who's comforted me not just so that it stays with me but he comforts me that I might comfort others oh and God in his grace because he loves me he wants to strip me of my rebellion strip me of my reliance on self so that I will rely completely on him and he is a good God for doing this for Close in prayer with me. Father, thank you, oh God, God of, of all mercies, God of all comfort. Lord, thank you for not forgetting us as sinners. Thank you for not leaving us in our rebellion, Lord, that we might, Lord, not rest in ourselves, that we not run after sins of this world thinking that they'll satisfy, that they'll save us, or even running to our, ourself and resting all our hope in ourselves. Lord, thank you for delivering us and rescuing us from our sin. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone here that's not repented of their sins, not trust in Jesus alone and collapsed all their hope in him, Lord, that they would do it even now. Oh, Lord, thank you for comforting us. 
Thank you for being enough for us. And Lord, I pray that even as you've comforted us, even as you've been enough for us, Lord, I pray that you would help us extend that comfort, your peace, your mercy to others in their time of need. Lord, help Burton Memorial. Oh, Lord, that they might comfort one another, that they might not rely in themselves, but rely completely on you, that through their weakness, your glorious power might be displayed as perfect. Lord, would you do this, we pray in Jesus' name.